We're going to continue in the series that we started at the beginning of the year, talking about spiritual disciplines. Hopefully, you are familiar with not only the title of the series, but the subtitle. We've, we're calling this study, Devoted, Finding Joy in Spiritual Disciplines. And what I'm hoping and praying that the content we've talked about in the last two weeks, we've talked about scripture, we've talked about prayer, those are not new concepts to us. Those are hopefully things that have maybe encouraged us and challenged us, but not, not been something you've never given thought to before. What I'm hoping, though, is what's really pushed down deep into your thinking the last couple of weeks is how I've been emphasizing the goal of spiritual disciplines. I really want us to get this in mind as we approach these things week by week. And so I'm going to keep coming back to them all throughout the series. Here is the reason why you and I should engage in spiritual disciplines. The goal of practicing spiritual disciplines is the joy of flourishing in godliness. Those words are all very intentional. We're, we're, we're aiming for and we're looking to experience joy in the spiritual disciplines, not drudgery, joy as you learn to flourish as a Christian. These are not things God's putting on you, weights putting on you to, to hold you down, to make life more difficult. These are ways for you to come alive and to fulfill the purposes that God has made you to fulfill. That's what we're aiming for in this. It's crucial to know that, to know what we're aiming for, to know why we are going there, to know how good of a thing these disciplines will produce in our life. The opening line of chapter one in, in Don Whitney's classic book on spiritual disciplines starts this way, discipline without direction is drudgery. And he's right. If all that you get out of this series is here are things that I should be doing and here's ways that I should be doing them and you don't remember the goal, you don't pursue the joy of flourishing, you will find these things to be weights that you're carrying along and not the results of freedom and flourishing that God intends for you. If we don't know where we're going, if we don't know what we hope to obtain when we get there, you'll find your motivations will quickly fade. This is true, I think, of almost anything in our lives. If we're only focused upon the mechanics of how to do something and you forget the goal of why you're practicing that thing, most of us, we won't succeed. Our willpower is just too finite. Other things will begin to draw our attention. The promises of things to give us peace or comfort or enjoyment. We'll, we'll want to pursue those things if we forget the goal of why we're disciplining ourselves, why we're practicing for something day after day. But if you and I are experiencing joy and we're experiencing flourishing in our lives, we won't be led astray by other things. We'll already have these results in our life. We won't need to pursue them through entertainment, through hobbies, through whatever else it may be that we're tempted to spend our lives going after. That's the crucial point I want us to get through this series. But I also want us today to go a little bit deeper than that, a little bit deeper than just your joy, a little bit deeper than just your flourishing. I think we should be motivated by understanding the personal reality of benefit that comes from spiritual disciplines. But there's a deeper reason you and I should do these things, something that should resonate a little bit deeper in your heart, even if, even if it's a challenge sometimes to bring that to the very top of your motivation list. The most important reason for you and I to practice the spiritual disciplines, to grow in the spiritual disciplines, is that we glorify God when we practice the spiritual disciplines and put our pursuit and obedience of him above all other things in our life. You and I will glorify God if we invest ourselves rightly in these things. So the title of my message this morning, our third week in this series, is Remembering to Glorify God. 
remembering to glorify God. My very first sermon as the pastor of this church was titled, The Glory of God. And the key point I made in that very first sermon was, everything exists to glorify God. That was week one. First thing as your pastor I wanted you to know was this truth. Everything exists to glorify God. And in the years since we've been together, I've, I've tried to bring that out, of course, from the scripture and from other resources and articulations of that to help, help you get that deep down into your mind and into your heart. The, the words of the first answer to the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism I've shared with you many times. In fact, we've even worked on memorizing this in some of the groups that we have done together. The, this is what the Westminster Catechism tells us is our primary purpose, our primary reason for existing, our chief end, if you will, in the older language, the chief end of man, our primary purpose for existing is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I, I really believe that is true because the Bible presents this truth to us. God himself, he's the ultimate being. He's the creator of all things. He's the sovereign one over all things. He's the one for whom all things exist, the Bible tells us. Psalm 19.1 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So, so what he's telling us, the psalmist would tell us, you and I, as we look outside and we observe this beautiful creation that God has placed us in, when we looked at the snow that came down this week here, or when we look up at a big clear open sky on one of our long drives to go to anywhere from here, right? Or when you and I go outside and can see the stars at night, all of that as we look at creation should help us understand the glory of God who made them. Our thoughts, when you see something in nature, your thoughts should roll up to God. You should understand he's the creator. That thing, that star, that snowflake, whatever it is, it exists to glorify him and to produce praise in you and I as we observe them. Another text that we've considered in depth here and need to, again, because it's simply so powerful. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 tells us, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You and I and everything else that exists, exists to glorify God. He created it, he sustains it, and it is, this text says, for him. In fact, the banner verse of 2 Peter 3, 18 that we've talked about the last few weeks refers us to this truth, the eternal worth of glory to God. 2 Peter 3, 18 says, grow, this is the command for us, grow or flourish in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, and listen to how he, he then moves from this command to the reason, for to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There will never be a point where God does not deserve the glory. There will never be a point where it's time for you and I to, to shift our worship or our praise to, to glorify someone or something other than him. He's the point of it all. It's all about him. He's the ultimate being, and he is far beyond everything else that exists, no matter how magnificent of what it is you can imagine. He's greater than that. 
And so this morning, what I want us to understand is there's this connection between us glorifying God, living out the purpose we were created to do, and us experiencing the joy of flourishing in our daily lives here and now. Listen, all other joys in this life, they will fall short. All other pursuits you can set yourself towards will end in disappointment eventually. Only in pursuing joy through glorifying God with all of our lives will we find true satisfaction because we were made to glorify him. That's why he created you. That's why he created me. That's why he created everything that exists is to bring him glory. And over and over and over, the Bible would warn us, do not forget this truth. Do not forget who God is. Do not forget what God has done. Do not forget why he deserves our focus and our worship in our daily lives. Do not forget that you were created to glorify God. And yet over and over and over again, because we are the broken people that we are, God's people do forget. And when we do, we turn inward towards our own pursuits. Or we... we, we look at creation and we think how amazing, how, how much joy creation can bring us, but we leave it there and it never rolls up to the creator. We're people who get distracted by the gift and we miss the beauty of the giver. So I've been reading a lot on spiritual disciplines the last several weeks as I've been working on this series. And one of the things that, that stuck out to me as I was thinking about this particular week for us and this particular topic is that most of the authors that I'm reading don't mention the idea of remembering as a specific spiritual discipline. Now, they'll talk about the, the importance of remembering in the other disciplines. It's kind of a, a, a sub-theme to these other things that we'll talk about in weeks to come. I mean, it's even there in what we've talked about in the last two weeks, right? There's, there's an, a part of reading Scripture that's remembering who God is, right? As we're reading His words, we're seeing what He has said, what He has done. So there's remembering involved in reading Scripture. And, and in prayer, if, if you pray for something more than once, you are going to naturally remember what God has done. Either he's answered a prayer for you and you're, you're encouraged by that or you're remembering he, he hasn't worked on this thing the way I've asked yet, so I've got to pray again, right? So remembering is part of these disciplines, but I, I think while it should be an aspect of the other things we do, remembering on its own, intentionally practicing remembrance should be a regular discipline that we work into our lives by itself, and I believe this because the idea and the importance of it is so deeply stressed in like the book of Deuteronomy, where I want us to go this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to look at three main texts. We're going to start in Deuteronomy 4, and I want you to just see this theme through several chapters. And don't worry, we're not reading all of it together, but I want you to see this theme through three key places about how important remembering who God is, what God has done, really is for us. So, to set our context here, Moses is talking to God's people and he's going to tell them how important it is for them to remember who God is as they are formed into his people. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we'll start in verse 9. So, Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Now, if we just pause right here, this is the constant command we're going to see throughout these texts this morning. God tells his people, don't forget. Or to put it the other way, 
Be sure to remember. God's telling his people here in Deuteronomy 4, here's what you must do. Listen, you must take care and keep your soul diligently, lest who I am, lest knowledge of what I have done, departs from your heart. Look, if you and I forget God in our daily lives, it doesn't just impact our thinking, it impacts our hearts, right? If you are not intentional about remembering who God is and what God has done, you will not feel, you will not be internally motivated with the love and the thankfulness that you should have in your daily life. So if you're not thinking about God when the snow started falling this week and you were looking out the window at that, if you forget truths the Bible presents to you like God is the one who causes it, the snow to fall. He's the one who sends the rain. He's the one who causes the sun to shine. He alone is in charge of the weather, not meteorologists, not anyone else. If we forget that as we're looking outside the window, seeing snow fall, what are you and I more naturally tempted to do? Complain, right? I mean, the students weren't complaining. They were excited uh, you know, when the school's getting out early. They, they were excited. But, but those of us who had plans who thought, no, oh, come on. I gotta go. I gotta go to town. Now it's snowing. There's gonna be ice. Right? We're tempted to complain rather than to worship if we forget that God is in control. But if Christians, we remember that God knows far more than you and I do. God knows what is best for His creation, for the world of nature, and for you and I as part of this world. If we remember that nothing happens outside of God's will and His power and His goodness, then we're prompted to worship. Then we're prompted to appreciate the beauty of the snow falling because we're not just focused on the snow falling. Our thoughts are rolling up to truths about our God who controls the snow that's falling. So I, I really stress this a lot with my kids. If they were in here, they could, they could probably tell you because often in my house with my kids, I hear complaints about the weather like you probably have heard there too. Like, why does it have to be rainy today? Why is it so cold or in the summer, hey, we're going to go outside and do something. No, it's too hot. Why does it have to be so hot? All the time, I'm reminding my kids of this truth. Because God has determined that is what's best for his creation. That's the, that's the ultimate reason why it's hot, why it's cold, why it's rainy, sunny, whatever it is. Because God has determined that's what's best. And I tell my kids all the time, so listen, it might change our plans. But you and I should trust that God knows what is best and thank him for what he's given us. So let's pray and thank God for the rain and all the mud. And that's what we do. We're working on reminding ourselves of these truths because they're important. And when we forget them, then we're carried away into the complaints that so, so prevalently mark our society, right? We need to be reminded of things like this over and over again because we forget these things over and over again. Look, Christians, we have to combat our forgetfulness of God. And the way God tells us to combat this, the, the plan he gives us to work towards this is by telling us we need to make known and pass on the things that we have seen and heard and learned of God. It's not enough to just to, to receive and to try and fit all that in somewhere. You and I were told as Christians, pass on, talk about these things, share them with others. If you've ever learned something and then taught it to someone else, you know how important it is to really actually learning it you get it better when you know you're going to teach it, right? There's something in it, but just passively receiving information, got it, got it, got it. When you know, I'm going to have to turn around and tell somebody about this or explain this to someone else, you learn better when you're going to go and teach it. And this is what God knows, and this is why God commands us, 
Go and share what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've seen. So parents, if I, if I were just to push directly in on you and I, and, and I'm in the, the season two, listen, this is our primary duty as Christian parents. Your job, my job, is not to make our kids well-behaved and moral. That's great. We want that, but that's not our highest calling. It's not to make our children little prodigies in something. It's not to ensure that they get good grades at school. It's not to train them to be dominant sports players. The highest purpose, (laughs) the highest purpose of Christian parents is to make known who our God is and to model our relationship with God before our kids so that they too can experience his love and grace and mercy just as we have. Nothing else matters as much as that. That is the most important thing. And this is what Moses told the people. And this is the illustration that Moses gives to the people too. That's the application there in in verse 9. He says, hey, make known to your children and to your children's children. Be sure to remember me and tell others who I am. And he continues to build on that idea. Flip the page over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Listen to what he says there. Hear, O Israel. Listen, people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, here's the application. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The point of this whole passage is clear. Don't forget. He's telling the people, you must pass on this knowledge of who I am to your children. Make conversations about who I am part of your daily lives. Remember me, not just when you assemble for worship, day by day, when you rise, when you sleep, when you work, when you travel. Make conversations about God center in your life. Remember him day by day by day. This is how we're supposed to live. And listen to how he he continues there, verses 10 to 12 in chapter 6. He says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then, so when everything's going good, when you receive all these blessings I'm about to give you, then... Take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. Go forward with me. Two more chapters. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's it's the same exact theme. And what God's going to do here is he's going to point out to us a danger, the danger of blessing, a danger that you and I face right now because you and I, we live very blessed lives. And you and I, we are very prone to failing right here in this way today. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look at verse 11. To 14, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, that your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your 
God. Do you hear the warning here? He's telling us when things are going well, when you have plenty of good food and your stomachs are full, when you have comfortable homes and warm places to be in the cold winter seasons, when your job is going really well, when your finances are solid, when you've experienced some accomplishment or you've got some measure of success, hear his warning in verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Now you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Look, the temptation he's pointing out is the temptation you and I, we all feel. When things are good, we think we are good. American dream accomplished. We worked hard. We studied, we put in the time, we made really smart decisions about that thing. So yes, we've got our results that we wanted. We're so happy. No, what we are doing inside our hearts, even if our mouths won't articulate it, is we're saying, hey, my power, the might of my hand have gotten this done. I did this, I accomplished this. And God's warning us, do not do that. Because the only way you can do that is if you have forgotten who God is. If you forget God in your moments of success and your accomplishments. No, if you remember God, then you will remember what he followed up with right there. It's God who's behind it all. So whatever success, whatever blessing you have is to roll you back up to him. And if you're not seeing him, you're missing the point. He's the one who gives us the skills and the knowledge that we have. And even down to the very breath and energy you have to use your skills and knowledge. Remember God when things are good. He's warning us. And he's warning us because there's a serious threat here. We understand God does not take belittling his glory as a light thing. There's a cost when you and I forget God. There are consequences, and he warns us about them here in Deuteronomy 8. Look at 19 and 20. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. When we forget God, when we fail to acknowledge him and worship him with our lives, it's not a neutral act. Like I said before, everything that exists was made to worship. Every one of us is wired for worship, and we are worshiping constantly. The question is simply who or what are we worshiping? And if you fail to worship God, if you fail to remember him in your daily lives, you and I, we will replace him in our minds and our hearts with something else, with something lesser. Some other God will become the object of our worship. That doesn't mean setting up an idol in your home. It means pursuing something more than him. So maybe we become our own gods, our own idols. We look at ourselves. We think we've accomplished these things. We think how great we are, how smart we are. Or maybe we look outside ourselves for something else to pursue, something else to think about, something else to to find security in. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's the idea of science. Maybe it's our favorite recreational activities. But something, something will become a god to you and I if we are not remembering the true 
God. And he warns us that there's consequences for this. We will perish when this happens. Get it? It's spiritual suicide to try and find joy or peace or meaning from false gods. It will kill our hearts. It will rob us of our affections. It will lead us to disappointments. There is a cost to be played. I love you too much to let you go and play with this. It's too serious. And so God points out this sober warning to Israel. He says, think, think about all the other nations that you see that are falling before you because they don't worship me, because they don't obey me. That's what happens if you forget me. If you, like them, turn to something else, that's the price that will be paid. No national identity makes us immune from the cost of this. If we forget our God, if we pursue idols and false gods, we will perish. We need to remember him. We need to remember to glorify God in our daily lives. And this idea of remembrance is not just an Old Testament concept. Deuteronomy is not the only place that talks about this. So it's practical application for for us today to to begin with remembering rightly who God is, what he has done. We're going to take a few minutes to do that together. I'm going to ask Kaysen Spratt and Craig Spratt if you two would come. They're going to serve us communion this morning. As we've done the last several times that we've taken the Lord's Supper together, there's Two disposable cups, they're stacked together. The bottom one has the bread, the top one has the juice. Just take one stack and, and you'll have both items. And we're going to practice remembrance through partaking of the Lord's Supper because from the text I'll read in just a moment, we find that Jesus established this ordinance for us by telling us in Luke twenty two nineteen, this is something we should do in remembrance of him. You guys can begin to serve everyone this morning. Look, if you're, if you're not a Christian, then I'm going to just ask that you would let these things go by. Eating and drinking them won't save you. What makes this moment special for Christians is that we're remembering what God has done. We are remembering that we have placed our hope and our faith in the salvation that he has provided through his death upon the cross. This is an act this morning of remembrance for us. This is not the moment anyone is being saved by taking the juice or taking the bread. You must have faith for this to have meaning. In fact, if you you take these elements today without faith, without repenting of your sins, without belief in, in these things representing the body and blood of Christ that you are trusting in for your salvation, then you are eating and drinking in sin before God. Don't view these things as just a snack. If you're hungry, wait five minutes and go have a sandwich. But listen, if you're a Christian this morning, and and, and most of us gathered in this room, we are. If we're a Christian, and you don't need to be a member of this church to take communion with us, this is the point of common ground for all believers. This is the one common table that we come to, no matter what nation, no matter what tribe, no matter what language, no matter what ethnicity, whatever our background is. When we come to this moment, we're coming together to remember the one God who has saved all of us through his cross, brought us together, made us into his people. If you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, then this moment is a moment of remembrance for us. Taking the Lord's Supper like this, it's, it's a way that God has designed to help us combat our forgetfulness, to combat our idolatry, to draw us back to the reality that, that our salvation is not earned by us. 
You and I, we didn't accomplish anything. The, the bread and juice you hold don't represent your life poured out to atone for your sins. They remind us of Jesus' life poured out to atone for your sins. That he has done everything needed to provide salvation for us. So we remember. We remember him in this moment. That we would not forget who God is and what God has done and what God has said. Let me pray, and I'll invite you to join me in prayer this morning before we take the elements, that God would help you and I both remember who he is and what he's done for us. Father, we come to you humbled by your word this morning. We come to you, Lord Jesus, to remember your broken body, your shed blood, that you are the one who accomplished everything that needed to be done for salvation. We come into this moment to remember how you have worked in our own lives, how you've drawn us to yourself. Lord, I pray every believer in this room would be reminded of the, the, the sweetness of your love towards them, of the, the moment you drew them to yourself. Maybe, maybe as, a, as a small child, hard to pinpoint an exact day, or maybe through some radical conversion, Lord, help us in this moment remember what you've done for us personally. Help us to respond with the gratitude that we should. To understand, Lord, that, that you are the point of, this all, of everything. That, that you deserve the glory. You deserve the worship. And the bread and the juice that we take today reminds us of the great price that you paid for your people. I pray that you stir up our faith and our love and our affections for you as we glorify you through remembering who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you have done for us. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we read, And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread in remembrance of Christ. In verse 20, we read, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take the cup together. May God help us to remember him rightly. Today and tomorrow and by Friday, that you and I would have our faith in him renewed as we remember who he is and what he has done. Over the last two weeks, I've been giving you practical ways to apply what we've talked about. And this practice right now is a practical application of remembering the Lord. In about 30 minutes to an hour, I'm going to share my report about 2020 with you as the, the church body. And and if you want another piece of paper to take home, I would gladly print and give you a copy of what we talk about. I want, you'll see the connection when I share the things that we're going to talk about in the business meeting. My challenge to you is that no matter if you take the piece of paper home or not, that you would spend time this week reflecting and remembering who God is and what God has done. This will be a theme in our business meeting today. It's a discipline I hope that we'll work on developing throughout this week. So in just a moment, we're going to 
dismiss from here. And as I said earlier, we're going to invite you. Everyone is welcome to come down to the fellowship hall. Malia and Nicole have set up lunch for us, so it should be ready to go when we get there. I'll pray a blessing over the food in just a moment, and then head down, grab food, begin to eat. There's sandwiches, cookies, chips, uh, drinks. Take a few minutes to enjoy some conversation with one another when you get down there, Um, but we're going to come back together in here as soon as we can. We're going to begin our annual business meeting. So members, when you come back up, I'm going to ask you, you can can come in here and set your things down if you would like to or leave your things here now, Uh, but when you come back up from lunch, go to the foyer, please. You're going to sign in on the uh, sheet. You receive your ballots and an agenda for the meeting. Make sure you've done that. After I give the devotional, we'll make sure we have... Uh, quorum, and then we'll begin the meeting. Um, We will start by 1245, hopefully a little bit sooner, if everyone is ready. Non-members, you're welcome to stay. Certainly come have lunch with us at the very least, Um, but stay for the meeting. It's a chance to celebrate with us what God's done in the last year, even as crazy as the last year's been. We have great things to celebrate and to look forward to what God's doing in this new year that our church is heading into. Let me pray. We'll bless the food, and then you're free to go grab some lunch. Father, thank you once again for the chance of gathering together today. I thank you, Lord, for for this particular moment where we get to remember who you are and what you've done throughout the last year as our church membership gathers together. And and I pray, Lord, that in the few moments between the start of that meeting and right now, Lord, that you would bless the food and the conversation, that that hearts in this place would be edified and stirred. And maybe maybe the conversation in the next few minutes turns to, to asking one another how we plan to remember you in this coming week. Lord, use us to minister to one another, bless our time of fellowship together, and be with us as we begin this meeting here shortly in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.